Welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, March 22nd, 2020. My name is Madeline Love, and with me in studio is Julie Love. Hello. (laughs) Before we get started with our scheduled conversation, I want to take a moment to read this letter sent out earlier this week from the president of Minnesota Atheists. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. It is with a solemn respect for our community and the public at large that I must announce that in response to the current state of emergency, all Minnesota Atheists events through the end of the month will be, will be postponed. All at that point, we will reassess, but likely all events through the end of April will be postponed as well. One of the reasons I love Minnesota Atheists so much is because how strong and resilient of a community we are. We have organizers, both with and without that title, across the state organizing a network of events, almost as though we are several overlapping groups. These events range from our official newbie nights that are advertised across multiple platforms to self-organized brunches between friends that just happen to be members. In the current state of emergency, our events exist on a spectrum of risk, and I know that my simple that my simply announcing events are canceled will not be sufficient. I am pleading to our membership, please take extra care during the next eight weeks to make safe and healthy decisions. Please follow the advice of the medical community and limit social exposure to the extent that makes makes sense for your situation. As a community, we are smart, but we are also stubborn. So please take the time to be intentional about your planning for the next few months. It seems likely that many people will have health issues. Many may unintentionally expose others, and many may need hospitalization. While we cannot control the world, we can control our actions, and I hope that we make decisions that lower our risks. To that end, I have one ray of hope. Postponed events and social distancing can cause isolation withdrawal, which is why, as a community, we can band together and be there for each other, even if we shouldn't be in the same room together. Myself and other leaders through the MNA will be hosting virtual office hours, giving people a chance to spend time with someone, even though we can't be together. In addition, Chair Alyssa and myself have volunteered to help anyone who needs help with setting up a video chat client and help coordinate supply runs or other help for anyone who needs it. If you're in need of those services, please contact us via board at minnesotaatheists.org. We're stronger together, and now is the time we must stand together. If you are interested in hosting virtual office hours or have other ideas on how we can make Minnesota Atheists better or any other feedback, please reach out to me at Prez. P-R-E-S at mnatheists.org. Signed, Ben Blanchard, President of Minnesota Atheists. And here at Atheist Talk, we are also taking this seriously, keeping more than six feet apart in studio uh, by limiting the number of folks we have in the studio to no more than two, covering our mics with disposable covers, Lysol, Cloroxine, everything down, and making sure that our guests are coming in through Skype or the phone. Um, and with that, our guest today is Rob Ray, who is a very distant from us, currently at 1,100 miles, calling all the way from Montana. Rob is the creator of the podcast Secular Yakking and Sparky on Ice. And Rob recently came, off, came home after spending more than a year living and working in my dream vacation destination, Antarctica. Rob, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for taking time on what is here a gorgeous Sunday morning. Uh, thanks for having me, Maddie and Julie. Um, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, we are really happy that you're able like, there's so much uh, disarray that has been caused 
um, by this pandemic. It's nice. It was really nice to like wake up and go, you know, I'm going to do something normal today. <laughs> wake up well, Sunday morning and go to the studio. Yeah. All right. So I guess uh, I wanted to start. I said you'd spent more than a year in Antarctica, but how long did you actually live and work there? I was there for 397 days. Wow. So I was right. I knew it was like, it was like two, that's two seasons. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, that's two and a half seasons. Wow. I, I got there in the middle of January of 2019, which was the middle of summer there. Uh, spent the winter and then the entire next summer. I didn't leave till February 18th, I think. And yeah. I'm assuming most of our listeners, because every listener to this show is obviously by default super smart and awesome. But I'm sure most people know that. So the winter there is like summer here. Like they're, the, they're opposite seasons. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And winter there, it's about as cold there as it gets here. Is that right? Um, yeah. I think Minnesota, it's probably the only place in uh, America <laughs> that gets close to our temperatures down there. Um, we would average negative 20, negative 30 for three or four months at a time. And then um, we'd hit negative I think we hit negative 51 for a few days there, but it's not that part that gets you down there. It's the wind. I was going to say, what, do they measure wind chill down there, or is that just do oh, they yeah. ignore it at that point? Oh, no. We we hit negative, uh, what was our, I think we hit negative 75 wind chill a few times. Jeez. It's just... And I was just in McMurdo. That's not even at Pole. Pole is even colder. So. Yeah, I was like, so where exactly, you said you're in McMurdo, where exactly is that on, you know, if I'm looking at Antarctica on a on a globe, you know, that round thing. Okay, that so um, it is on the Australia-New Zealand side. In fact, it is a straight line down south from New Zealand. So is it, like, how far then are you from the, like, if you, could you walk to the South Pole from there? Uh, technically, yes. <laughs> If your name I mean, is like Shackleton done. or Amundsen yeah, or something. It, yeah, it's been done a couple of times, but I, I'm not doing it. No. <laughs> but it's it's a fair distance, correct? Like you're not um, like yeah, right near the South Pole. It's like 750 miles. All right. That's like walking from here to Montana, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> not not something I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do in nice weather, let alone sub-zero <laughs> weather. So the biggest question and the main reason I wanted to bring my wife, Julie, in the studio today was to ask. What about the penguins? <laughs> the penguins. The penguins are the second most annoying birds in Antarctica. <laughs> and the first? Those are what we call skua. They're like giant, um, oh, what are they called? Uh, the seabirds. My brain just died for a second. It's, it's a leftover of Antarctica. Uh, seagulls. Oh, what they are. really? They're, I, they're, they're scavengers. I, when I think of Antarctica, I don't think of seagulls. No, but you should because they like to dive bomb you for your food. I mean, fair. They're hungry. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they've, they're very intelligent, the skuas are, and they know what human food looks like, even if it's covered by a plate. So, <laughs> So did you actually get to see penguins while you were down there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why I say they're annoying. They like to stand in the middle of the road. <laughs> oh, that's just the, the, the picture of that. Like, I feel like you sh did you, you shared a picture on Twitter or Facebook of a penguin in yeah. the middle of the road, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We were on our way out to Williams Field, which is one of our airfields. And we're on the ice road. And uh, we're about 
10 minutes out and then there's two emperors just standing in the middle of the road. I'm like, would you get out of the way? And you can't do anything to him because of the Antarctic contracts. So you just got to stand there and wait. <laughs> just I've, I've, we're, when, when we took a trip to Oklahoma, we had this, my wife and I, not, not you and I, Rob, although, you know, you seem like it'd be fun to take a trip with. Um, <laughs> we had the same issue driving through uh, one of the nature preserves with longhorn steer. And that, you know, you're on a, you're on a, in a state park or actually you're in a national park. You can't, and not, that and the steer's bigger than my car. Um <laughs> <laughs> like you just had to sit there. Like there's nothing to do but just sit there. And it, I imagine it'd be really frustrated when it's a. I know emperor penguins are big as far as penguins, but they're still not gigantic birds, are they? Um, they're they're decent size. They're about three foot tall. Okay, well that's 80, 90 pounds. That's pretty big. So do you yeah, have? There, did you have just emperors there, or are there no, different we kinds? Had, uh, we had uh, Adelis as well. Okay, and those are slight or considerably smaller. They're uh, maybe eighteen inches. Tall tops. Those are those were more uh, abundant there than the emperors. Now, do you get tired of people asking you about penguins? No, I like penguins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, like when I think of Antarctica, I think of ice, snow. Well, ice and snow, I guess, are the same thing. Meteorites, but it's a different topic. And penguins. So yeah, and polar. What bears. I do get tired of is uh, people will ask me about polar bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do the polar bears eat all the penguins? Yes, they do. I thought so. I thought so. Or maybe the peng- you know, that's how we know penguins eat polar bears because there are yes, you haven't there seen are polar none bears. in Antarctica. <laughs> I think that's solid sound reasoning. Um, you know, I just have a couple minutes before we have to go to break. So, the other thing that would frustrate me having conversations myself if I ever had the chance to go down there would be explaining why I, you know, like why it's not a flat Earth. Did you? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you had the opportunity to talk to Flat Earthers since then? Uh, no, I have not. Um, oh. I try not to associate too much with Flat Earthers. <laughs> um, it's just like a picture, like, I don't know, this, the, the wall of ice that already sort of does exist across some parts of the continent and trying to picture that going around the entire continent and that alone right. just being, yeah. Um, yeah. So when we go on to, our, to, to the next segment um, after the break, I wanted to talk to you about kind of like the preparations that were needed because I'm assuming this wasn't just throw some stuff in an overnight bag and, you know, head on down there. So No, there's there's quite a bit to it. Yeah, and I'm sure that the trip was just like, you know, hopping in a like when I try to fly to California or Seattle or something, you know, it's a short little yeah. three hour jaunt no, just, and Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing terrible at managing my clock today because I still have 30 seconds before I'm going to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, do you have any random penguin facts for us? Um, in order to trap one, you have to sneak up behind it and put it in a full Nelson. Are you serious? Yeah. The, the We had a Ponganus penguin ranch down there, and they studied penguins, and they had to catch them to study them. And he taught us how to catch them. Are there videos online of this? No. Oh, not that I'm aware of, but I, it is possible. Do you know if Batman ever tried that? <laughs> <laughs> all not right. Sure. <laughs> well, I know. I want to keep talking about penguins. Um, all right. So please stay with us through the break. Julie and I will return to Atheist Talk with special guest Rob Ray. You're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Love, joined in studio by my co-host, Julie Love, and our guest, Rob Ray. One of our longest and most loyal sponsors here on Atheist Talk is Cucumbers Restaurant in Edina. I, I make a point to thank them every episode, and this episode is no exception. Unfortunately, like so many other wonderful places for social gatherings here in the Twin Cities, Cucumbers is not able to stay open during this pandemic. And while we understand the need for this temporary closure, we are also sad to lose such a great place to gather and share a delicious meal among good friends in happier times. We look forward to enjoying Cucumbers again after this health threat has passed, and we thank them for their support that they've shown the show and their dedication to making the community a better place. If you would like to advertise in this program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. And now back to Rob Ray, his experience in Antarctica. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at atheiststock. All right, Rob, uh, when we left, I was talking about penguin wrestling, which is now a bucket list item for me. Um, if the penguins will be okay with that, I guess I don't know, but... I think it'll be fun. You seem to not like it too much. <laughs> okay, fine. Then I'll, I'll hold off on that. Um, I do have ethics. <laughs> um, so we, we, I want to talk, like I said before the break, about preparations needing to to get to embarking on this trip to Antarctica. Can you talk about like the preparations that you needed to do? Um, sure. So there's quite a bit you have to do. Um, first thing you have to do before you can even think about going to Antarctica is get what they call PQ, which is physically qualified. Uh, basically, you have to go through this medical exam, and it is a full medical exam. Very annoying. They do things that they don't do to normal people anymore. <laughs> like? Um, you have to have the, well, for, for guys, you have to have the full finger exam. Okay. And apparently, they don't do that on a regular basis anymore. So it's not, but, you don't need an analog exam, you need a digital exam. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I can say that on the radio. Patrick isn't cutting me. <laughs> um, so there's that. Uh, you got to pass a dental PQ, which is um, make sure your teeth aren't falling out of your head or you're not going to have any dental issues because there's no dentist for most of the year down there. They have one for like a month and a half, and he basically just does cleanings and emergency work. Um, then after that, you have to actually get your gear together. And uh, for those of you who don't live in cold weather environments, that's a lot of thermals and a lot of layers that you have to get. However, you can only pack 85 pounds worth of stuff. That seems like a lot, but at the same time, I feel like you're going to use that 85 pounds up really quick. Yeah, I was at like 83 and a half pounds. And then I'm assuming your bag counts as part of that. Yes. So I actually used a military duffel bag because I figured it would be the lightest thing I could pack and get the most in it. Now, do that, does that count like, you know, you can go on the airplane on a reg, on a commercial flight. I can get, put this much in my bin, but I also have a personal item. Like, right. could you wear like a second coat or like anything yes. extra you wanted to bring? You could carry on yourself, but your bag had to be 85 pounds. Is that? Yeah, your bag was 85 pounds and whatever you carried would be whatever it weighed, but it had to fit in a, you know, carry-on bag. All right. But you also had to realize you were also wearing your... Uh, ECW gear, your extreme cold weather gear, on the plane over. Oh, so that feels yeah. like you know good to have, but also that the plane might be warm. It was okay. 
Because <laughs> I, I recall listening, like, you know, and we'll get to your uh, Sparky on Ice podcast a little bit later, but I recall listening to an episode where you talked about how frustrating it was to, like, go from a day where it was, like, negative 30, and then, like, the next day it would be, like, 19 degrees Fahrenheit. And it was like, yeah. okay, how do I plan for this? And I imagine, like, the airplane trip down there, you're going from that nice, warm airplane to, you know, negative 30 <laughs> when you get off the plane. Yeah. Um yeah, we take off from Christchurch, New Zealand, which at the time was in the middle of summer. So it was, you know, like 85 or so when I got on the plane. And I'm wearing, you know, my my bibs and my big red, which is the big, huge goose down filled coat that we wear down there. It was really warm. And it was a LC-130, which is not the most comfortable airplane ever. I don't know if you've ever flown in one but basically you get a mesh seat your cargo strap seat ah no is that like the planes that like the military uses the big giant prop planes yes it is the big giant prop plane i think it'd be fun to fly on one but not for an extended period because that was your flight like six hours is that right eight eight hours on the lc-130 yeah that doesn't sound like much fun like it sounds like sleeping in a hammock it's really comfortable at first but by the time you wake up you're like like why did i do this to myself yeah. <laughs> so you 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 went through all this preparation to get down there and you're planning on going down there again. Do you like are you going to change how you do you learn anything so that like this time when you're prepping to go down like you're like I'm never making that mistake again. Like Yeah, uh, it was mostly about what I packed. See, I packed an extra coat and an extra jacket cuz you never know, right? I will not be bringing those because the the heavy coats that they give us down there are more than enough. I didn't need my personal coats, so that'll save me 10 pounds or so. Um, Another thing is uh, more thermals. More. Because I only brought like three or four pairs, and, you know, you don't want to have to keep washing and drying your thermals, you know, every couple days, so. Right. Yeah, so more of those, and those are lightweight enough to make it happen. Um, yeah, just packing better, I think, is what yeah. it is. Uh, the beautiful thing is we get to leave some of our storage down there if we plan on coming back. So I left a lot of stuff down there so I can bring more better stuff this time. So do you get to bring, like, I'm assuming there is a dearth of super awesome, fun, entertaining things to do down there. And probably a dearth of super awesome, tasty snacks. Um, are you allowed to bring stuff like that with her? Um, no, you can't bring outside food through New Zealand. Oh, okay. So it's more that's more of a customs thing than an Antarctic. Yeah, Antarctic. Now, thing? if you pick up right, if you pick up stuff in New Zealand, you can bring that. Okay. But you can't bring food through New Zealand. Do they have little debbies in New Zealand? My wife is rolling her eyes at me, but Nutter Butter. Bars. I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't spend a lot of time in New Zealand. So. No, that's fair. Um, and you had talked about, in one of your podcasts, about water. So I'm imagining, now are you just allowed to wash your clothes whenever you want? Or Yeah, we have, uh, well, most of the time. You, um, we have, you know, 200,000 gallons of water on hand because we, we have a double RO plant, which is reverse osmosis, which we create fresh water from the seawater. Okay. So there's plenty of water most of the time until something breaks and then there's no water, which does happen. Yeah, that was you know was, that was one of the po- episodes I went back and listened to in the last few days was like because it just shocked me. It's like you're on an 
on a continent full of ice and there's a water <laughs> shortage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Well South Pole has the ability to melt ice to turn to store water. McMurdo doesn't have that ability since we use double RO. So okay. the ice melting, I mean, we could if we really had to. There, We would just set something up and melt water. But um, as far as the general water, no. The South Pole does the melting. We do the double RO. So uh, McMurdo, though, like I know a lot of Antarctica is surrounded by ice sheets that are sitting on the ocean. Is McMurdo on like land or on ice yeah. on land? So, um, So the station itself is on Ross Island, which is a volcanic island with uh, Mount Erebus as the volcano, which is the southernmost volcano in the world, active volcano. And and, um, and I actually uh, mistimed my breaks again, so <laughs> we'll return to our guest, Rob Ray, after this short commercial break. Please stay with us. I'm I love with truly love you listening to Atheist Talk on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Maddie Love, in the studio with Julie Love, who continues to keep a physical distance of six feet, while it's never ceasing to be one of my closest friends. In this segment, we will continue our conversation with Rob Ray and his experiences in Antarctica, his projects, and his life. If you'd like to chat with us this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at mnatheist.org, or tweet us at Atheist Talk. I also want to thank our group of dedicated volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast. And this week, we'd like to thank our special donor of the week, Mike. If you're able to help with a donation, please consider doing so at our radio fun page or our Patreon, where you can get extended interviews at patreon.com slash atheisttalk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. We couldn't do the show without you, and we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Brent Michael David and is used with permission. Please note all opinions are of the guests and hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the Minnesota Atheists organization. Mischief managed. Let's get back to podcaster, Antarctic survivor, and all-around nice guy, Rob Ray. Rob, we I cut you off during the break. You were telling me uh, where McGurder's, uh, McMurdo... <laughs> where McMurdo Station was. Um, and you said it was on a volcanic island? Yeah, um, which is Ross Island, like I was saying. Um, so that's most of McMurdo Station, but we do have two runways uh, that are on the ice shelf itself. Okay. In, in the Ross Sea. Now, can you feel the ice shelf move up and down while you're on it, or does it feel like you're walking on the ground? Oh, it feels like you're walking on the ground. You're on, like, 70 feet of ice. Oh, wow. So. Awesome. Um so when when I first heard that you were going to Antarctica, my first thought was Rob's a really awesome guy. Uh, he's really smart, but he doesn't do physics or, you know, anything like that. So, like, what did you do while you were down in Antarctica? So I am an electrician. In fact, I uh, started out as a regular electrician down there and then took over the foreman's for the summer. So I basically am the maintenance electrician manager for McMurdo Station. That sounds like... Like, I guess, how is that different? How is your job different working down there than it would be if you held the same title, you know, in Montana? Um, it is actually very similar. Um, you just, as for what I did, we did new projects for the new station build. They're rebuilding a, a good section of the station since most of it was built thousands of years ago, apparently. And 
the other part is maintaining the old part of the station to make sure it doesn't burn down while they're building the new part. <laughs> That sounds like most of the hospitals I've worked at where they're like, you know, you've got the part that was built, you know, on the turn of the century. And in this case, McMurdo Station was built, what, like the 1920s, 1930s? 1956 was, 56 was the, the first year of McMurdo Station. And we still have one of those buildings. And it's just been like, now are all these buildings connected or? No. Okay. So is it like living kind of in a little town? Yeah, um, they kind of describe it as a like living in a mining town because all the buildings are uh, built in different decades with different technologies, and uh, there's virtually nothing the same about any building. So I guess what is the living conditions like then while you're down there? Um, it's not horrible. I mean, people think it's always just like cold and stuff, which it is always cold. But, you know, you spend a lot of time indoors. Um, and they're well heated most of the time. And, unless something breaks, which it always does. <laughs> and then you fix it, right? I, well, I fix part of it. Okay. So, um, that is one of the best things about uh, the place. Like you were saying, how do you get, how does someone like me get down there? Um, being a tradesman, I didn't think I could. But apparently, you need tradesmen to keep the scientist working. So. Yeah, it's, I think that goes to the, the idea that everybody, and this is my social justice and politics coming through, but like everybody is essential. Just we all support each other. Um, and yeah, that's a beautiful thing about McMurdo Station, basically all of Antarctica, is that they understand, even the scientists down there, um, everybody understands the need for everyone that's on that station because everybody does at least two jobs on that station. Even like what we call the Stewies. And basically, they are the dining room stewards. They do the dishes. They keep the dining room clean. And they do all that food delivery stuff that is absolutely necessary for everybody down there. Right. That's, yeah, I guess I, I, I like that. That makes me, like, happy for maybe a future somewhere where yeah. you're not nice. <laughs> so I guess what's that process like? Uh, if somebody who's listening is like, you know, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica. I never thought I could, but hey, maybe I can. Like, what's that process like for finding a job potentially down there? Uh, so the easiest way to do that is go to usap.gov slash careers, and there will be a list of all the contractors for the USAP, which is the United States Antarctic Program. Um, and if you can Within those lists, you'll find all the job listings for the uh, Antarctic stations, including Palmer and South Pole. Oh, see that? That just sounds – my wife's looking at me and shaking her head, but just like, yeah, just incredible. It's amazing. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for somebody who's like pondering this? Um, uh, persistence. Okay. If you, uh, if you want to go, just keep applying. Um, I got lucky enough to get sort of recruited because they really needed electricians, but not that doesn't that's not the norm. So, yeah, as a microbiologist, I'm guessing, but they do other lab work. Maybe they could still yeah. do something else. Um, and I know suit floors. Yeah, I, they, if you can get a grant, get a grant. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, uh, thinking about this, you know, it feels like down there there's a lot of uh, social isolation in a way, and. Thinking of like how what what's going on currently in the United States and around the world, do you have any insight in how this current pandemic is being handled in Antarctica, or does it need to be handled right now? Um, a little bit. Uh, I talked to my counterpart who's taking who's doing the winter foreman down there, 
so I can keep up with what's going on. And he said they are uh, restricting travel in right now, which is not this time of year. It's not really a big deal because they only get like one plane up every two months anyway. So it's like, eh, are they really restricting travel or are they just business as normal down there? Um, they are they are going to be sending people out or back to the states in April. And they, they should get a plane in, but I think they're going to be screening them pretty heavily before they get down there. Uh, they take uh, illnesses very seriously there. We are very uh, – you talk about social isolation, and down there in the summer, it's kind of the opposite. You're a very close-knit community, and you spend a lot of time with a lot of people. Um, I mean, you're basically a 1,000 people in a single square mile, and you're limited basically to – a bunch of buildings that you all live in so so maybe a better uh, a better analogy would be like comparing it to like the people who live on a submarine or on a boat like in the navy is that yeah, maybe closer it's very much like that yeah like you can't get away from people even if you want to <laughs> right i mean you have a roommate everybody has a roommate in the summer and unless you're uh, what they call a um, resident assistant and they get their own room but that's because they also are the basically building managers for whatever building they're the resident assistant for an ra god that sounds like college <laughs> yeah it uh, feels like college sometimes now did they do anything about like talking to people saying hey maybe we should avoid like let's pretend this is a holiday a family thanksgiving like let's not bring up your opinion on this politician or your opinion on this religion of did you have to monitor like what you said at all uh, generally, that uh, we do that as a community on our own. They don't necessarily say we can't, uh, but as a to keep people on a professional level and to keep people from killing each other, uh, it's it's a best practice not to discuss that in general public. You know, in your own private groups, that's that's all good and dandy. But um, if you're in the galley, try not to get too political. Yeah, because I recall in one of your episodes you talked about having clicks or not oh, yeah. not that you were part of a click but how there were like clicks that formed yeah there are definitely clicks it's just like high school in, in that um you would have the the popular kids which you know I'm, I'm not a popular kid i'm not part of the av club i'm not i'm sort of like I've, and have always been that that group that doesn't fit anywhere so you just group together on your own and um you could look around the galley and everybody had like almost assigned seating based on what group you were in. I mean, we even had one called the Knights of the Round Table, which was weird. <laughs> I, I, I don't know exactly there. They were, I guess that group was like, uh, I guess when I went to high school, we would have called them like the stoner group. So. <laughs> that's, that's not what I picture. That's not what I picture, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say self-named Knights of the Round Table. Okay, okay. They sat at one of the round tables. Fair, fair. So you you have your work hours. What do you do for leisure in a community of a thousand people? Is there what do you do in your downtime? Well, there are actual things to do. There's hiking. Um, there's skiing during the summer, and a little bit in the winter. I wouldn't suggest it, but. Uh, Scott Base, which the uh, New Zealand base, which isn't very far, actually has a ski slope, which they let Americans on occasionally. And um, we have a couple bars. So we got Gallagher's and Southern Exposure. 
and then we have a coffee house, which actually serves just coffee most of the time, <laughs> and it's a wine bar occasionally. Um, we do have internet, barely. Uh, basically, you figure we have about 20 gigs to share between a 1,000 people, so yeah, barely internet. Um, the bars have regular events like karaoke, or there'll be a Saturday night dance party, um, live music occasionally, because there's some amazing musicians that show up down there, and you're like, man, you can really wail on that thing. So it's really good. So just a couple minutes before we go to break, what are what do you think are the biggest misconceptions that people have um, about Antarctica in general? Um, I, I, you know, I'm I'm not real sure about that. Um, well, what were your biggest misconceptions? Like when you got down there, you're like, oh, I was not expecting this. Oh, um, well, you expect it to be white all the time, you know, just covered in snow all the time, and it's actually not. During the summer, the um, the volcanic dirt and rocks is very dark brown, and it absorbs a ton of sunlight. So it actually gets pretty warm down at ground level. When you say pretty warm, define pretty okay. warm. <laughs> like 35 degrees. Okay. <laughs> I know. I think that's gorgeous. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's still colder than my refrigerator. <laughs> right. But I can see, oh, yeah, that would, that the whole, like, when we talk about climate change and as the ice melts, you have more rock exposure. Not that climate change is making it so that, you know what, never mind, I'm not even going down that road. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, the rocks get darker because they can absorb more heat because they're black. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Right. And, yeah, I just, oh, I just, as I think, one of the things I love about Antarctica that I would love to take is a meteorite expedition because they talk oh, about yeah. how it much easier it is to find meteorites in Antarctica. You've got these fields of white as you get closer to the poles, especially, and the meteorites being black and dark right. show up so much easier. That they do. In yeah. fact, I saw a couple shoot over while I was down there. Oh, see? Did you get to they see They landed them? somewhere on continent. I don't know. And now I wanted to ask you now about the Southern Lights, but I have to go to break instead. And... <laughs> Uh, we'll return to our guest, Rob Ray, right after this short commercial break. I'm Maddie Love in studio with Julie Love, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into Atheist Talk. I'm your host, Maddie Love, and I'm joined in studio by my longtime co-host, Julie Love. We are chatting with podcaster, atheist, and Antarctic survivor, Rob Ray. Rob, right before the break, you started got me thinking about the Southern Lights, uh, and I am wondering, did you ever get a chance to see them while you were down there? I did see them one time. They were quite magnificent. Um, kind of hard to describe. You know, it's, well, I guess it's just like Northern Lights, just on the south side. Yeah, just did it. Yeah. <laughs> I've only seen the Northern Lights twice in my lifetime. And never probably as prominent as I'm assuming they were very vivid and bright down there. Yeah, there's there's no virtually no ambient light because all the lights at McMurdo point down. So if you're away from town site, um, you can see pretty much everything. Like we were out airfield and we were doing uh, night vision goggle landings for the Air Force. So we turned out all the airport lighting and it, the view out there is just incredible. Oh. That sounds wonderful. As, as an astronomy fan as well, like the idea of getting to see all the, the southern, yeah, that just sounds wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. 
I wanted to pivot a bit. Uh, mentioned you're a podcaster and you've got two different podcasts. Um, can we? Do you want to talk about Secular Yakking? Yeah, um, Secular Yakking was a show that my wife and I did for about four years. I think was it four years? Man, that's a long time. Yeah. And um, we stopped when uh, we moved to Mon when we were in the process of moving to Montana because we had to do so much to the house. And then um, I got the job in Antarctica. So we didn't start it up. Well, yeah, we didn't start it back up. We tried to start it back up while I was in Antarctica, but the logistics were just too much. And I've talked to her about it, and it's a possibility we might bring it back um, once I'm done with Antarctica. So maybe in a few years. Yeah, it was a really fun show. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to coming back. Yeah, I enjoyed doing it. We both really enjoyed doing it. We got to cover a lot of topics and you know speak our mind in ways. We, always wanted to so well and as somebody who does atheist uh, you know creating atheist content i always like hearing different voices in the atheism community that are you know just different because like we're not one block of people we all have come from slightly different perspectives right and then you did a podcast while you were down in antarctica sparky on ice uh, right what was it like podcasting from antarctica <laughs> um well it was weird because i didn't have my my podcaster set up Right. And, you know, you as podcasters used to having a nice microphones, really good computers and mixers and all this other stuff that we use. I had a tablet and some um, foam from packing from shipping boxes. And I had put all that inside my wardrobe because during the winter I didn't have a roommate. I had an extra wardrobe. So I turned that into my studio. So basically I had my tablet and a chair and that was my podcast booth. So what I'm hearing is that you came out of the closet. That's good to hear as a podcaster. I had to stick one bad joke in the show. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) So Um, do you anticipate trying to do that again when you get done? um, It is a possibility. It's a little harder to do in the summer due to the the slow internet uh, uploading. uh, Even an audio file can take hours if it even uploads at all, which is why after the winter uh, and the and Wi-Fi went away. Uh, I kind of stopped doing Sparky on Ice because it was so difficult to do it. But if there's enough call for it, I'll, I'll think about doing it. Um, it just depends because we have roommates and stuff, and that makes things a lot more difficult as well. Yeah. I mean, I highly encourage anybody listening to the show to go back and find this podcast because it's definitely offers you – like you have such a unique insight that isn't um, – it's not something that many people get to experience and that many people like spend a lot of time talking about. And then you just kind of talked about daily life and a lot of things. That was just really, I don't know. It was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of cathartic really. Cause I was trying to experience it the first time and it allowed me to get my thoughts together in, in, in a way that made sense to me. Now you, one of your segments that you did on Sparky and ice was history uh, especially of Antarctica, but did you learn anything that like really surprised you that you could share with us? Um, what really surprised me was that the fact that they had dogs up until the seventies in Antarctica. And the reason they stopped having dogs was because they carried a, a, uh, bacteria that would kill penguins. Oh, poor penguins, poor doggies. Yeah. So yeah. like when you say they had dogs, like, like sled thinking, dogs, wow, you could use them as sled dogs. Oh, that just seems like um, was it Edmonton? I think used sled dogs, while Scott used ponies. Wait, okay, 
there were I, I I never thought about ponies. Yeah, ponies. Ponies did not do well. No, I imagine no, they don't but, do well in mines or in Antarctica. Gandalf told me no, that. No, but apparently they're pretty good meat when you have nothing else to eat and you're stuck in Antarctica for two years. So yeah, yeah, fair. I mean, I'm all for animal rights and whatnot, but I would have probably eaten my horse as well. That is not an official position of Minnesota atheist or atheist talk. Um, <laughs> oh, and penguins taste very fishy. Just so you know. Oh. And now it's that, that's that's the official report. Oh, okay, because like I'm assuming, and you would talk about this earlier in the show that you're not really allowed to touch penguins like, no, unless you're wrestling them to do scientific experiments. That is correct. Or Batman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not letting that go. Um, one of your uh, Sparky and Ice episodes talked about the first image of the black hole and how the Antarctica telescope helped in that imaging. Was that something that created pride among the folks living and working there? Yeah, that was a really big deal that um, the South Pole uh, Observatory was able to work on that because that was such a huge bunch of news that came out while I was down there. And, you know, people talked about that for probably a week or two on and off, you know, and pretty that, big deal. Was that, is that part of that telescope? Was that something like that you that, that was known about before, like, you know, before the image came out, was that something that that was known that was, you know, you guys were helping take a part in or? Uh, well, we, we knew about the telescope in South Pole. Um, pretty much everything that happens in South Pole makes its way through Ms. McMurdo because it's the only way to get to South Pole. So, but we, you know, even at McMurdo, we don't know all the details about it, but, you know, we know it's down there and we know what it's for. How, like, um, obviously you don't know all the details about everything going on down there, especially scientific experiments, but, like, how much in the loop do you guys get to be like the people that aren't actually running an individual experiment on like the different kinds of things that are going on down there? Well, we have what's called the Query Science Center, which is one of the buildings that one of the more recent buildings that was built. And they give a every Sunday, they give a tour of the science that's going on down there. And you can go take that tour and they'll, they'll walk you through. Uh, what this scientist is doing, this one's working on, you know, how does temperature rise of one degree affect the breeding of this particular fish, right? Or, you know, back when they were doing the ice cube stuff, you know, how do they catch neutrinos? We'll, we'll go through stuff like that. And uh, then every Sunday they have a science lecture, which one of the scientists will come out and give an hour-long lecture on what they're doing in Antarctica. That sounds so really we, fun and cool. We, we get pretty well kept in. We don't know the you know minute right. details, but you know we get a general overview of what's going on down there. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for this episode. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. We'd love for you to join us again next Sunday for another new episode. All episodes of Atheist Talk are available wherever quality podcasts are found, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, our YouTube channel, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you've enjoyed the show. This show depends on the generous support of our members, sponsors, and donors. Please consider supporting the show through the donation link at mnatheist.org. This has been Atheist Talk on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota.